Hello, and welcome to I Am Dad podcast with your fatherhood authority, Kenneth Braswell. 30 minutes of wisdom, information, resources, and nuggets to help you on your fatherhood journey. Or maybe you're just curious and want to hear some real talk about fatherhood, family, and the minds of men. Well, guess what? We got you too. Sit back, grab your pad and pen, and maybe even bring a little something to sip on. Enjoy 30 straight minutes of fatherhood, family, and fun with the fatherhood authority. Kenneth Braswell. Thanks and welcome again to I Am Dad Podcast. I'm your host, Kenneth Braswell, and today we have an awesome guest. Thank you once again for listening to all of our podcasts. The um, feedback has been incredible. Um, I'm loving the comments. I'm loving the suggestions. (laughs) Thank you for all of the requests to be on the podcast. I'll try to get to you as soon as possible. Uh, But thank you, thank you, thank you. And again, um, stay in touch with us by going to our website at IamDadPodcast.com. Sign up for our newsletter, and we'll keep you up to date on the upcoming episodes, any information, any news, and any links to any of the conversations that I've had and resources that people have shared with you, including contact information to their social media platforms and other pieces of information so that you can get in touch with the guests that we've had here on I Am Dad Podcast. Today, uh, my um, guest is a special friend, special brother. We've been together in this work for a long time, doing some great things, and I'm always honored to be in his presence. Um, his name is Dr. Jeffrey Shears. Um, he's a professor in the School of Social Work Departments at UNC Charlotte, where he is also the director of the Joint Masters Social Work Program. Dr. Shears earned his BSW and Master's in Education Administration from North Carolina A&T State University and his Ph.D. in Social Work from the University at Denver. Um, He has done a lot of work in the field of research um, that covers fathering, multicultural issues, HIV, AIDS, quantitative research, um, and he has... He is a sought-after voice um, as it relates to this work of responsible fatherhood, and I want to share, I want him to share some of his insight here today with you. How you doing, Dr. Shears? Doing great, Kim, man. Thanks so much for having me on board. Uh, this This is much needed, so I appreciate you. And I always forget the one thing that is probably now most important to me than it was before. He is also the chair of the Monaghan Institute for Fatherhood Research and Policy, which we're going to talk about a little bit as we continue to move forth. Fourth, tell us a little bit of something about you that I didn't say in this bio. Um, well, I, I am a dad, um, so I got some street cred, and I, I like to talk about that. Um, so again, I, you know, I appreciate having an opportunity to share my what you know research and and kind of how far we've come in the fathering realm. Um, just a little bit of background about myself and how I got to this point. So my area of interest is always uh, overrepresentation of African-American males in the juvenile justice system. So even as I went to a PhD program, uh, that's what I wanted my career to be, focusing on that. Um, but had a wonderful opportunity to head Early Head Start Research Evaluation Project to uh, Fatherhood Studies in Colorado, in Denver, and uh, it just surprises me, and, and I'm, uh, lack of a better term, tickle pink with um, how far we've come in fatherhood research over the last 20 years. And so um, I've been doing this a, just a little over, a hair over 20 years, 
And so uh, I like to set the stage of, as we talk about fathers and fathering research, I like to set the stage in that 20 years ago, we really didn't have many large-scale studies about families that included fathers. And when they did include fathers, uh, rarely did we even talk to dads. We asked moms, what did dads do? We asked moms about fathers, parents, and styles. And so we think of studies about influence on children, children development. We just rarely ask dads about their experiences in being a dad. And so uh, super blessed to be recruited to run the two Denver studies. And it's, it's crazy that um, in conducting that study early on that we really even didn't have measures for fathering. You know, it was measures about mothering and mother's attitudes and parenting attitudes or what have you but really didn't even have measures for fathers. And so, um, you know, so to see what we've come to now, we have commercials and even some of the great work you've done uh, with Fathers Incorporated um, about have you hugged your child today and, and things of that nature that we're putting fathers at the forefront and just, you know, to look back on uh, the work that me and, and several others have done where we came from fathers with an afterthought. Now, uh, as you know, we begin to talk about research, I think we're on the precipice of really helping folks understand the importance of fathers in the lives of children. So we understand that in the research realm, right? Uh, we've done numerous studies, the Early Head Start evaluation study I was a part of, the, which was the, the subsidiary of that, the fatherhood study, as well as fragile families, some of these longitudinal studies. And it's a lot of folks doing work on fathers and understanding just the impact um, that fathers have in the lives of children. This expanded to, you know, how do men learn how to fathers and how can fathers be a resource to families and children? Um, but I still think that there is a disconnect with a lot of people who work with dads and work with the men that information hasn't quite gotten to the masses yet. But, you know, uh, and not to, to belabor and continue to talk about this, but I think that's what the Monaghan Institute What's founded to do is to get the information out in in sizable bites. You know, uh, it must be lunchtime. Talk about food. Get the information out in sizable bites uh, to folks, and then really to um, highlight the importance of African American fathers, um, and and not just fathers, but African American men and. Um, you know, how we serve our communities, our families, and our children. Yeah, I think that, you know, there's still a lot of folks out there that, you know, I think one of the things that people need to know is that this work around responsible fatherhood is still a fairly new discipline when you look at the disciplines of social work. Um, and so there's not a lot of history, to your point, you know, in this work of people researching, trying to figure out, trying to even understanding. I'm trying to understand, you know, who fathers are, how they fit in his family paradigm, you know, what we should know about them. And then lastly, um, how to engage them um, and whether or not we even want them to be engaged. You know, we have this, you know, traditional, you know, measure of a man that says, you know, as long as he's providing for us, that's really all we need. You know, all the other right. stuff he can keep, you know, we, we, we good without him. And so, you know, when you think about that particular element, you know, sometimes we get um, comments, you know, on our website or on our Facebook pages or whatever. And, and folks are, you know, really, you know, angry about, 
you know, fathers and not showing up and being absent and all those things. Yet, you know, you want to know about them, but you don't want to know about them. You know, when you look at the research space that you've seen over the years that you've been a part of this space, what has been the most intriguing advancements or things that you've learned about fathers over those years? Well, I want to, before I answer that, I do want to talk a little bit about what you said about this educating the masses. And we're not even, we are not sure if fathers are important. And I, I like to talk about that in, in a kind of three level theoretical model that I've kind of come up with and that a lot of folks who work with in social services and work with families. So there is a, a cadre of folks who don't even believe fathers are important. You know, mm-hmm. there's really about focusing on, on mothers and children. And then I think the next level up is that folks who say, okay, as long as dad is providing, he has met his obligation. That's what we really need him to do. And, you know, it, and to their credit on their, in their defense, I should say, I mean, that's what the American system is really built off of is paying child support. And so we're certainly sending messages and people have adopted that message that as long as dad is being a provider, that's what children need. Um, But we know that goes opposite of what the research shows. But um, then the last level is folks who say, yeah, we, we believe fathers are important, not just as a provider, but to interact with this child because that's where the benefit comes with the interaction. Um, but they don't know the unique contributions that fathers make in the lives of children in regards to their parenting styles, their interactions. And, um, you know, I often say mothering ain't fathering. And I, I use the word ain't because I'm from the South. But, you know, it's two, di- it's two different, you know, parenting styles. And so uh, from a research portion, uh, you know, I, I was kind of talking a little bit about how, you know, we, we've gone from how do fathers influence children, parenting styles, interaction, things of that nature, uh, to really, in my own research, really branching out to, well, you know, how do we learn how to father? You know, this whole intergenerational transmission of father, which I've been super interested in over the last few years, um, that really talks about how men learn how to father with, and what are the big, what are the biggest influences for men to father? Are they fathering styles? Are they fathering patterns? And we know that the biggest influence is your, your relationship with your own dad. And then the next level of influence is your family of origin. And then the third is peers, friends. And then the fourth is media. So, um, you know, a lot of times, as we understand the way men learn, they certainly learn a lot more through modeling and watching behaviors. And so um, as we think of, you know, uh, this intergenerational transmission of fathering and that, how we father our kids have big impacts because our sons are going to ideally adopt, particularly in great situations, adopt some of our parenting styles. Um, our daughters, fathers, um, fathers' relationship with their daughters certainly enhance their mates, uh, their husbands' marital satisfaction. So we know this fathering thing has generational impact. Um, and so just understanding more about how do we learn how to do this? How do we learn how to do it in black communities? And how does that impact um, our ideas about marriage and things of that nature? Um, the other pieces that I'm you know, super interested in is just about how fathers can reduce infant mortality. How can we reduce 
um, some of the health disparities that we see in African American communities, largely again because we don't look at society doesn't look at black men as resources mm-hmm. um but black fathers can be a tremendous resource because so many of us are around and present and engaged which is we kind of miss the boat a lot of that a lot of times because we're you know, depicting black fathers as being uh, absent fathers where many of us are engaged um and so understanding how fathers are are impactful uniquely impactful you know i like to use this as an example of one ways that fathering is different than mothering and it goes back to the study that i did with early head start because um you know the example i like to give is that you know fathers increase self-regulation because that comes through rough and tumble play so a father picks his child up plays with them rough and tumble play for a few minutes sets the child down well that interaction is highly, highly correlated with self-regulation, your ability to control the emotions, whether well, the, uh, inter- the young child-father interaction. And self-regulation is highly correlated with school readiness. And we think of kids who may grow up in a household without a dad who didn't have that play, intera- that play interaction with their dads may have trouble in school because of their inability to self-regulate mm-hmm. because they didn't have the experience with their dad. So, uh, so much of... You know, my research and what I've been super interested in is really about the unique contributions that fathers make and why fathers are more than more important than just being a provider in the lives of children. You know, and I think that, you know, when you use the word um, unique contributions that they make, um, because they make unique contributions mean that they need to be studied uniquely. Right. And so you can't use the same cookie cutter to understand, you know, their relevance, you know, in the space of family development. As you talked about the things that, you know, we typically learn about fathers through and you end it with media, um, I thought that there were two other things that also serve as lenses with respect to how we see fathers. Um, The first one being environment, right, meaning where you grew up, how you grew up, what you've seen, how you've seen the infrastructure of men in your life, have you seen the infrastructure of men in your own family, how you've interacted with men in your school or on the field or in your community. I often tell the story, you know, when I was growing up in Brooklyn, um, there were two pimps that lived in our building, um, and both of them lived on the first floor. And one of them lived in the apartment whose windows faced the front of the building, and he would often be sitting in the window, like, on an early Saturday morning, Sunday morning, you know, after they he's probably been out all night, right? And so, and he would have that handkerchief tied around his head because he had that, you know, had that conk going on. So he had to have his oh, okay. have his hair straight. And when we would come outside, he would often send us to the store to pick him up a pack of cigarettes. And he used to always call us young bloods. Hey, young blood, you know, come over and um, grab me a couple of cigarettes. And he would pull out like money and he'd hand it to us. And we'd run around the corner, get his cigarettes and come back and he would say keep the change keep the change and we always did it because we knew he would always say keep the change but the one thing i vividly remember about him is that we were always mesmerized by the car that he drove because it always the purple um, el dorado always sat in front of the building and his women we would see coming in and out of out of the building when we would be in the hallway downstairs But his messaging, even though his imagery to us said one thing, his messaging to us said something totally different. And he always used to say to us, young blood, this life ain't for you. Get your education. 
Um, okay. Mind, mind, mind your mama, he used to always say. Mind your mama um, and get your education. This life ain't for you. So even he understood as a man his space and responsibility um, to children. And I gleaned a lot. That's why I always talk about environment because environment can um, influence you in a negative way or a positive way, depending on how you interact with it. And I think that that holds true when it comes to boys becoming men and particularly yeah. men becoming fathers. The second element is cultural, right? Because mm-hmm. culturally we're told what, who men are and how men behave and who fathers are and how fathers are behave. And so we tell stories at, you know, the fan reunion of our grandfathers, right? And how they used to be at the juke joints all weekend and they used to walk, you know, they used to, you know, hang out all night and come in on Sunday morning. And they, they, we, they would tell stories. They really wouldn't tell us anything about them, but we would learn about the men of our lives through the stories that women, that women told around, you know, the, the dinner table right. or as they were talking on the porch or other places. And so some of what you learned about how I should be a man was how women interpreted what they saw in the men that they were engaged in. And so when you said that, I thought about, wow, there's these other two things and those two things, the environmental impact on how we learn to be dads and the cultural impact on how we learn or how we believe to be dads are not studied enough. Have you seen that? Um, so, yeah, I mean, when you start talking about families of, you know, of sitting on the porch and hearing the stories, I, I certainly put that in the line of families of origin, that how we learn how to be fathers. So mm. from stories and visually, um, and it reminds me of, a, of a, this, this whole idea about self-concept. You know, you talk about how uh, the guy would send you to the store to get cigarettes and you know, it's how important it is for black men to be in the lives of children because they teach the next the next generation of how to see themselves in the world. So it's this whole idea of self-concept. And I've done some work about single-parent uh, young African-American boys who, who are in a school with a black teacher and how it improved their self-concept, their ability, like I say, to see themselves in the world. Um, and it's, you know, it's a part of... of of the dynamic in regards to those influences is, as you said before, we have to study these things in this unique fashion. I mean, we, you and I have done some work looking at what the, what are the lived experiences of African-American men in large, in largely low income black communities, you know, where there aren't any models around and they they don't feel supported. So the environment piece that you, you bring up is so paramount and, and different that we have to study those folks in addition to, their environment, their experiences. And one thing that, you know, we think about intergenerational transmission is we have to make men mindful of their influences as dads, you know, and they can make the connection of, oh, why am I doing this? Or why aren't aren't I not doing that? And a lot of times, as you know, we don't really think about, you know, we have a child, we just, you know, we do what we think is right. We never, we rarely make the connection with, why am I parenting this way? Mm-hmm. And so uh, it allows us to say, okay, I want to 
and I want to pass some things down from my dad, from my grandfather, down to my children. But there are also some things that I don't want to pass and be very intentional, you know, on how we father. I also say father on purpose because it's really that important. Mm-hmm. You know, which then brings me to this whole conversation as we talk about unique individuals needing to be researched in a unique way. Um, what we have always been fighting against is the generalization of how we are looked at from the broader research field that doesn't look like us, right? And so then there's this question that we get often, why are you only working with black dads? It's all, why are you only working with Latino dads? And we somehow, we have to explain, like, why I'm focused on black dads as if I don't care about all dads or don't have the capacity to work with all dads. When you, in your research, have come across that space where researchers have questioned why are you focused on this particular population and not focused on a much broader population, how have you dealt with those conversations? Well, I want to I share... Some, some something very personal um, because in academia and being who I am, right, um, initially when I was working with fathers and, and being in a large Latino community in Colorado uh, with Early Head Start, you know, people was like, oh, he, his, his area of expertise is black fathers. And I would say, no, that's not my area of expertise is black fathers because I wasn't focused on black fathers. Um, and so it's, it's a kind of catch 22 people just kind of assume because of how you look and your ethnic background, that's what you focus on. I'm like, no, I, I look at all fathers because I believe fathers are important in the lives of children, but I have grown or have moved, um, and, and safe in that space of saying a lot of my work is around black fathers because, um, I see the benefits of fathers to black families and communities. Um, you know, part, prime example, you know, research clearly shows that there are some benefits, not some, there are numerous benefits to marriage for men, health, financial, mental health. Yet, it's not, any, it's not something that we've readily adopted in our community. Um, you know, often having a house full of women, often observe the differences when women say they're getting married as they respond to other women and as men say they're getting married. Mm-hmm. Um, and it's not always viewed among a cadre, a cohort of men as being positive. You know, it's, there's some negative connotation when we <laughs> tell our boys we get married. Like, um, but, you know, if we, if we are, if we follow the research, it's like, congratulations. Like, that's, that's good. There's, there's a lot of benefits to being married. Um, and, and so, you know, so part of, and, and so part of, of my progression as a scholar is my work is so needed in my community because of the information and the voice, um, needs to, to be heard. And uh, some of that stuff comes better from the person that looks like you. So mm-hmm. I just wanted to share that. Like I've really come to say full circle, but I've certainly made a 180 in, how was introduced early and, and looked after or viewed as a father, as a fatherhood scholar who did black fathers 
And I would correct folks like, no, I do all dance. To now I embrace that because um, our folks need it. Our communities need it. Our men need it. And we, to coin a phrase that you always use it, if the, if the lion doesn't tell his story, right, the, the hunter is going to tell the lion the story. Mm-hmm. So we need to tell our own stories and, and, mm-hmm. and do our own work. So, um, so I, I segue to that just, to, you know, super excited to be a part of the Moynihan Institute where so unique, appreciate your vision of getting scholars who are focused on getting the message out, understanding, being the, telling the story, right? Telling the lion's story so the hunter won't have to tell our story. Mm-hmm. Yeah, no, I had an awesome conversation with um, Dr. Latrice Rollins, um, who is at the Morehouse School of Medicine, um, and she is now the executive director of the National African American Family and Child Center um, out of um, HHS. And they are doing work specifically on the research side around black families. And I had the chance of asking her the question, how fathers fit um, in that conversation. Um, and her response was they fit where they have always, where they should have always fit. Um, but now we're doing it with the intent, um, intention of making sure that as we talk about families, making people understand that if you're not talking about fathers at the same time, you're not talking about families. And so it was this interesting where you talk about people evolving into these new spaces, particularly as it relates to black fathers and black families and being un- unapologetically dedicated and focused on this work because there is a great need to be there. Um, I used to often tell people, I don't debate with folks on whether or not you are an advocate of heart cancer as opposed to colon cancer. You may have a personal reason that you care about one cancer than the other cancer, but I'm not going to demonize you because you're not advocating for the cancer that I have a love for. Same thing with fathers. It's like, listen, don't demonize me because I want to research, work with, help elevate and cultivate black fatherhood as a means to elevating my community and families within my community that are suffering under, um, Um, devastating consequences as a result of father absence, right? Not fatherless, because that's a whole nother conversation, because you want me to believe that fathers don't exist. We're not working against fatherless. Fathers are there. What we're working against is levels and measures of father absence, making sure that fathers are back aligned with being fathers in the lives of their children, because they already exist. They're there. And so we're just in that space right now. And I think culturally where folks want you to carry their messages and leave yours at the door, particularly when it comes to black issues, because many of them believe that we're forcing these conversations on them about black families. It's like, no, we're not forcing this conversation on you. We're dealing with a conversation that you have long term ignored Um, Because you have seen it as irrelevant. Um, When you are looking at the research space in terms of things that we still need to know, because you talked about several things that I know we need more research on. 
Um, but I want you to kind of pinpoint one or two areas that we really need to do more research on because they are foundational pieces that allow us to do the greater work. Yeah, so um, I guess two areas, you know, we know, I mean, just to go from the beginning, we know fathers are important. We begin to understand how they're important. And the the next level is, you know, how do we work with dads? Like, um, there's been some work to try, even some federal funded work to try to understand why fathering programs are successful, why some aren't, um, and and to to begin to develop some uh, mechanisms to understand why programs are effective or not, you know. Um, and the other piece is I think we really have to begin to do some literature reviews and research and understand about the population and train folks in a way to work with men. So um, and we need to have more research in that area because we have – we don't, in academia, as we train students in various different disciplines, uh, we teach you how to be aware of your own isms in regards to religion, sexuality, uh, gender, cultural, right? We teach you to be, you know, be aware and be an effective advocate for clients and how to work with clients and what have you. But I don't think we do an adequate job or we can do much better in teaching uh, our workforce and how to work with men and how to work with fathers. And so, you know, you, we have folks who are work with fathers, who work with families. I'm not going to say with fathers. We have folks who work with families and they have daddy issues mm. or they have uh, baby daddy issues. And although they might have addressed, okay, the religious differences, racial cultural differences, um, sexuality differences or whatever, no one has ever in an academic setting addressed their their daddy issues or their mm. child's father issues. Mm -hmm. And so um, I say that to say I, I remember doing a, a uh, presentation, a training in how to increase your capacity to work with fathers and um, when I start writing the curriculum and really preparing, I was just like thinking, I'm getting these people nuggets, these things to do, the conversations to have with men and how to get them engaged. And, um, you know, when you had this guy over there one time, what, a, you know, talking about legacy with him and just, you know, just different little things to hand to hand uh, these workers in their toolkit. And I remember after the second day, uh, one of the participants, the lady came to me and said, you know, because of this, this two-day training, I sent my, my daughter's father her prom pictures. And that was her takeaway, which I was like, wow, this, mm. this go, I'm trying to help you work with <laughs> men, right, in the agency. And this training helped you realize that I need to, communicate with my daughter's father by sending him prom pictures, which made me realize it, it, it was a lot. A lot of this is not the toolkit, but I need to forgive or need to mm -hmm. understand my own bias as I work with, with families to include that. And the other piece is, you know, some of the work that I've done, you know, increased capacity work with fathers, men report that mm. this bias or this bias is felt when they go into social service agencies or they go into family center agencies and whatnot, they report feeling bias that 
I'm the only man there, or I'm mad at the front door about, you know, why you, what, who are you looking for? And some of these men, you say, I'm the one that called in the case. I'm, but when they come to do the visit, they go to mom. Right. And, you know, I often, often joke that, you know, it, it creates a perfect storm. And so we certainly do need to do some more research and more understanding about this phenomenon. It creates the perfect storm where a lot of the workers, uh, frontline workers that work with families don't want to deal with dads, right? And a lot of dads don't want to deal with the workers. So it's a perfect storm where there's this disconnect because a lot of workers are much more comfortable working with mom and children. And so, but in order, as you said, I would, you said it, I repeat it. Every child has a dad. Mm-hmm. Every child has a dad somewhere. So this fatherlessness might be absent, might not be involved, but there is a dad somewhere. Mm-hmm. And we know that all men parents for that matter, but all men and fathers could be a resource or a risk. They could potentially be a resource or a risk. And so if we're not engaging, if we're not doing things to make that father a resource to children, right, we can do things to make that father a resource to children. And so um, not all fathers are all good or all bad, but we can do things as workers when we have a comfortability level to work with men that we can increase it, uh, increase our capacity as an agency to work with fathers mm-hmm. and know that fathers have huge impacts on families and communities. Wow. <clears throat> Listen, Dr. Shears, thank you so much. Um, it's been an awesome conversation. We have so much more conversation to have. Um, I'm going to tease people with two conversations that you and I are going to follow back up with at some point down the line as we continue to dig in our work with the Monaghan Institute and one is I know you are a girl dad and we don't have enough conversations. This work, this conversation around fatherhood always tends to lean towards fathers and sons. And we don't talk enough about the relationship between fathers and daughters, um, particularly me, given that I have four daughters in my life and one son. So I have a lot of conversation around the differences between what I saw in my daughters and what I'm seeing in my 13 year old son right now, a whole different it's a, it's a different thing going on. Um, right, and the right. second thing is the space around early childhood development um, and the impacts that fathers have on children in the early stages of their lives, that more critical, what I like to call that drive to five, that zero to five years. Um, you have to understand your incredible impact on a child's life in those um those, those years, zero to five. And I want to come back and talk about those. Um, Dr. Shears, give everybody um, your contact information, how they can find you on social media, all of that good stuff. Hey, I can be found on the Moynihan Institute web page. Contact information is there. I'm uh, on social media on Twitter, on DASNO, D-A-D-S-K-N-O-W, DASNO. Um, and as I said, can Please visit our website, Moynihan Institute. Uh, we are updating and providing resources uh, for fathers and those who work with fathers uh, periodically. And so please visit the website, and we'd love to hear from you. And on that note, thank you, everyone who's listening to I Am Dad podcast. Uh, make sure you go to our website again, sign up for our listserv so that you can stay up to date with new developments with respect to the Monaghan Institute, the fatherhood field, um, and the work that we're doing. Also, send us your questions, send us your requests as you are, have already begun to do. I appreciate you. Um, thank you. Have a great rest of your day, a great week, and we'll see you next Sunday, same place, same time. God bless. Take care. <laughs>
Thank you so much for taking the time to spend with us. You've been listening to I Am Dad Podcast. We hope that you have been informed, encouraged you to think, or even inspired your heart for the love of dads. The conversation does not end here. Come back and join us next week. Same time, same place. Or you can continue the dialogue on our I Am Dad Facebook page. We also invite you to listen to past episodes, learn more about us, and keep up with special activities by visiting IamDadPodcast.com. That's IamDadPodcast.com. Until next time, I leave you with this reminder of manhood from 1 Corinthians chapter 13, verse 11. When I was a child, I spoke as a child. I understood as a child. I thought as a child. But when I became a man, I put away childish things. Because of this reminder, I will always understand that I am dad, period. period.